What? I got good news for you. He's going to be alive tomorrow too. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Every day, every day we can celebrate Resurrection Day. And as believers, we need to obviously celebrate his resurrection, but ours also, because we have been raised to life in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So welcome to Grace Community Church for our Resurrection Day celebration. But as I said, uh, we do this every Sunday. So uh, what, a, what a great way to, to live life with the family of God. How many of you have ever received an empty promise? I'm not going to ask how many's made one. I don't want to know. <laughs> well, the sermon title I, I want to just point to because it can have very, very negative implications. But I trust that the Spirit of God will take us through this time and, uh, and just uh, with a little twist on a play on words, we'll find out that uh, the empty promises that we're looking at today are good ones, and we can count on them. A reminder that Grace 101 will begin next Sunday. We'll be meeting over in the uh, uh, old sanctuary, the conference room, uh, at 9 o'clock, Sunday school hour. And that, uh, of course, will run uh, four to six weeks. But uh, I just kind of leave that leeway in there just uh, as a cushion. Uh, basic doctrines of the church, what we believe, why we believe it, why we believe it's important that we do believe it. And uh, that way, when you decide uh, to become a member of the church or, or just uh, any type of level of commitment to serve, uh, you agree in like mind. And, and that's important, folks. Uh, I assure you, it's, uh, it's a Bible study. We're not going to present any doctrine that can't be proven with Scripture. Amen? All right. The empty promises of Resurrection Day. Let's get right into it this morning. And if you would, please stand, at, if you are able, at the reading of God's Word. I also want to welcome those who, are be, uh, who will be viewing online, participating with our services uh, through uh, media. Welcome to you this morning also. Beginning in chapter 24, verse 1 of Luke's account of the gospel and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking in. 
he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Father, please add the blessings that only you can bring to the reading of the word. It is your word given to us and by the Holy Spirit. We pray that just maybe we've heard these words again for the first time and just how exciting they really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So what was the expectation as the women made their way to the tomb? Well, it's very clear. They had watched as the body of Christ was placed in the tomb on Friday. Again, I'll be drawing from other gospel accounts to kind of add to and bring wholeness to the picture. They knew exactly where they had taken the body of Christ. They watched them place his body in the tomb. And now that was on Friday. So everybody had to go home for the Sabbath in obedience to the law of God. They returned after the Sabbath to complete the burial process and preparation. They had brought the spices and perfumes and everything else that would be placed upon the body of Christ to provide a proper burial. And they really had no plans on how to remove the stone. So you can see this this element of faith that they're going to do the right thing, they're not even quite sure how that's going to be accomplished. So two things immediately brought confusion. Number one, the stone is rolled away. And secondly, there is no body. Now let's pause for a moment. We're there. We're there with the women. We approach the tomb expecting fully expecting to find certain things. We are expecting to find a sealed tomb and a body behind the stone. That's all changed. Why would they be shocked? Why would they be surprised? Jesus, as the angels even said here in the account from Luke's gospel, Jesus had told them this is the way it was going to be. He had told them that he would rise from the dead. But listen, my friends, they had seen him on Friday. They had seen Jesus on Friday. They had witnessed cruelty, inhumane or inhumanity against humanity. They had seen him nailed to a cross, and nobody lives through the cross. Nobody. The Romans had made sure of that. Isaiah the prophet tells us in in the 52nd chapter, As many were astonished at you, his appearance... Now listen to the prophet's description of Christ. This is what the women would have seen on Friday. His appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. What Isaiah is saying, Jesus was beaten so brutally, he didn't even look human. 
so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Do you think they believed for a minute he was going to live through that or even that he would come back from the dead after that? You see, folks, we got to understand the, 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 the moment. Jesus was so disfigured from the brutal beatings, torture, and crucifixion, he would be unrecognizable. That's our Savior, my friends. That's our Savior. And every brutal wound on his body was my fault. My fault. Because he bore my sins on that old rugged cross. So you want me to believe he's actually alive? Yes! <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I do. So this brings us to the empty promises. We're going to begin at the cross. First of all, there is the promise of the empty cross. And I want us to think about that for a moment. The final sacrifice has been made. The cross was empty. Hundreds, countless people had died or would die by crucifixion under the Roman tyranny. But none like this Christ. The one who was destined for that moment of anguish and pain. The one who loved, healed, taught, and shared life with so many for such a short period of time. No one ever spoke the words that he spoke, even while he hung in excruciating pain. No one even gave words of hope like him. No one. No one had responded to the crucifixion like this Christ. No one ever spoke those kinds of words no one ever gave words to another hanging beside him, words of hope and comfort. No one had ever asked the Father to forgive the tormentors who placed him there. No one until now. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John the Baptist proclaimed at his inauguration, the final sacrifice to atone for the sins of humanity. Under the law of sacrifices, the, the, the sacrifice had to be made every year by the high priest, but the writer of Hebrews tells us that has been fulfilled. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who does. Behold the Lamb of God who does. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Good morning, church. Good morning to those who are being sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. You know, I, I, uh, I just feel compelled to mention... Uh, Thursday night uh, and our uh, Monday Thursday service. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Latin, it's simply Monday or mandate or the command. So we celebrated the Lord's Supper and we had a great time of worship, even in sober contemplation of what was about to occur. 
But at the end of the service, uh, Pastor Adam, you don't mind me doing this, do you? It's too late. I'm in the middle of it, so you just will, you just will suck it up, guy. Yeah. Pastor Adam walks down off of the stage area and with a very large bowl of grape juice commenced to trip. And, well, he didn't fall. I don't want to over-dramatize. He spilled it. He spilled it. And it was quite a mess, we thought. I was standing at the back of the sanctuary and I began to cry. I looked at the table and this beautiful white linen that covered the table. And that cup, simple grape juice, but representing the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, had ran down that beautiful white linen in streams of flow and pooled on the floor. And I thought, that's it. That's it. I can't think of a better way to close the communion service than seeing the blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It was not an accident. You're clumsy. <laughs> but that wasn't an accident. The cross of redemption is a completed work, my friends. There will never be another cross of redemption. There will never be another cross of atonement. There will never be another cross of sacrifice for the Lamb. It will and forever remain empty. That's a promise. That's a promise. The perfect sacrifice has been made. Never again will there be another need for a sacrifice. I want to read something very quickly. Oswald Chambers, uh, one of my great old authors, wrote this, and the title is The Collision of God and Sin. The cross of Christ is the revealed truth of God's judgment on sin. Never associate the idea of martyrdom with the cross of Christ. It was a supreme triumph, and it shook the very foundations of hell. There is nothing in time or eternity more absolutely certain and irrefutable than what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. He made it possible for the entire human race to be brought back into a right standing relationship with God. He made redemption the foundation of human life. That is, he made a way for every person to have fellowship with God. The cross was not something that happened to Jesus. He came to die. The cross was a purpose in his coming. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The incarnation of Christ would have no meaning without the cross. Beware of separating God was manifested in the flesh from he made him to be sin for us. The purpose of the incarnation was redemption. God came in the flesh to take the sin away, not to accomplish something for himself. The cross is a central event in time and eternity and the answer to all the problems of both. The cross is not the cross of man, but the cross of God. 
and it can never be fully comprehended through human experience. The cross is God exhibiting his nature. It is the gate through which any and every individual must enter into oneness with God. But it is not a gate we pass right through. It is one where we abide in the life that is found there. The heart of salvation is the cross of Christ. The reason salvation is so easy for us to obtain is that it costs God so much. The cross was the place where God and sinful man merged with a tremendous collision and where the way to life was opened. But all the cost and all the pain of the collision was absorbed into the heart of God. The cross is empty. That's our first empty promise. Secondly, the promise of the empty tomb. God's wrath against sin has been satisfied. We as sinners deserve the full wrath of God, but God poured out his wrath on his own son. Our Savior bore our wrath and took our punishment, which is death, the writer of Romans, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. The resurrection is God the Father's proclamation that he is satisfied. The law has been fulfilled. How important is this truth? Again, from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, that I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the words that I preach to you. For I declare to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Follow the argument, please. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Isn't this great? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Oh me, oh my. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, before I finish this passage, and there are just a couple of verses here, there's many in this assembly that have lost loved ones, friends, neighbors, family. But just one of them we'll be celebrating the life of here next, this coming Saturday. And I want to tell the family. How would you be reacting right now if this were true? Christ has not been raised from the dead. If that were true, would you really want to have a service for George? You, you know what a service for an unsaved person is like? 
He did. He's dead. She's dead. It's over. It's done. Well, it's not. But because there's hope, we can say, George never died. He just transitioned from this life to the next. And for every believer, that's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't really die at all. Guess what, folks? Someday you're going to be stuck with me forever. Nobody's leaving. Okay. But that's the truth of the gospel. There is hope. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. I proclaim to you this morning, Jesus Christ is alive. The resurrection is God's pronouncement that the sin debt has been paid. Arise, my son, and bring life to all who would believe. The cross is empty. The instrument of suffering and death no longer holds any power. The tomb is empty. A place of despair and decay no longer has any power. Scripture refutes every doubter and provides proof at every turn, our third preaching point, the promise of the empty grave clothes. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. The promise of the empty grave clothes. Death and the grave have been defeated. Death and the grave have been defeated. Many believers, many believers throughout history have refused to believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. They claimed the women had the wrong tomb or someone had stolen the body of Christ. Well, the women, already proven from other accounts of Scripture, knew exactly where the tomb was. Matter of fact, when they got there, the angel said, this is it, this is the place right here, but why are you looking for the living among the dead? <laughs> you got the right place, you just got the wrong expectations. And if somebody was going to steal the body from a tomb guarded by Roman soldiers and sealed by Pilate's order, why in the world did they take time to fold up all the grave clothes and lay them neatly on a slab of stone? John tells us in his account, Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outrun Peter and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place all by itself. Things were very neatly arranged and organized. Jesus didn't need them anymore. He just didn't need those clothes, those cloths anymore. They claimed so many things to try to refute the resurrection and yet Christianity has based its faith 
on the very foundation of this point ever since it occurred. The grave clothes are empty because life has no need for death wrappings. A point previously proven in the account of Lazarus. Allow me to read the last part of this story. John chapter 11. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Loud voice. The man who had died came out. What, else, what other choice did he have? I mean, if God says come out, you better come out. Right? Have you ever heard that call? Here, wait a minute, pause, parentheses, sermon, random thought. I pray to the Lord Jesus Christ that you have heard God call you out. I pray that you've heard that voice echoing through the woods and the plains and the house rooms and wherever you may be. I pray that you have heard the divine God say, it's time to come out and meet your creator. I pray that he's called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Lazarus come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. You see, same preparation. Same preparation. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. To the redeemed, I say, take off the stench of the old dead and decaying life. Live in the new life of Christ. Live, live as the new creation that you are in Christ Jesus. Because you see, at the moment of salvation, this great exchange takes place. We give up the grave clothes, that which represents our death and decay, and we get his robe of righteousness. What a deal. And now we who are in Christ are adorned and clothed with the robe of righteousness. So when God looks at us through the shed blood of his son, when he looks at us through the work that was finished on the cross, when he looks at us through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, he sees the holiness and the righteousness of his son. And he said, I like you that way. I like the way you're dressed. I think I'll just make a place in glory for you. The empty cross, the empty tomb, the empty grave clothes, all for one more empty promise, the promise for empty hearts. The promise for empty hearts. You can be filled with hope and joy today. Only Jesus can fill the void in humanity's heart 
At the moment when God breathed breath into Adam, a place deep within man was formed that is designed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the eternal essence of God. Sin emptied that place of the divine presence, and man has been struggling to fill it ever since with whatever he can try and come up with. But only Christ can bring peace. Only Christ can bring hope. Only Christ can bring joy. Only Christ can bring contentment. Only Christ can calm the restlessness of the search, the, the, the horrible, worthless, futile search for substance and meaning in life. Only Christ can give that to you today. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can reveal your purpose for existence and living on the road to Emmaus, this post-resurrection account of our Lord walking along with a couple of, of his followers, disciples they were called. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther and they urged him strongly to say, and this him is Jesus. Stay with us, they said to Jesus, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Oh, I pray that your eyes have been opened. I pray that your eyes have been opened. The eyes of your hearts have been opened to see what Christ has done for you. To see him as he is. Without Christ, you have no peace. Without Christ, you have no hope. Without Christ, you have no joy. Without Christ, you have no comfort and will never know your ultimate purpose for even being here on this earth. I present to you today that our hope is based on several empty promises. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are empty, and your empty heart can be filled with the presence of the living Christ today. One author said, you'll never realize your desperate need to be filled until you understand how empty you really are. Without your creator, our creator, the God of heaven and earth, without him filling that void which was created at the fall of mankind. Only he can fill it to a satisfied level. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection today. We thank you that Jesus lives, that he lives and he is seated right now at your right hand in glory. He is seated at his rightful place in glory. And he's interceding on behalf of the saints. He's praying for us today, Father. 
And we're so thankful that we have a great high priest who has completed and fulfilled the law and became the final sacrifice. Father, I'm glad I don't have to go out and find me a spotless goat and a pure lamb anymore. I'm so thankful that I can trust your perfect sacrifice, one that I could never have found anyway, and one that I could never make. Father, I, I fear there's a lot of people still making their own sacrifices through good works and good deeds and all kinds of things, through religious service. Father, I pray that they come today and understand that only you can forgive sins. And you can only forgive sins when we're willing to admit we're a sinner and we need the Savior that you provided. That Jesus and Jesus alone is our only hope of salvation. So, Father, we celebrate today. We celebrate today that because he lives, we also shall live. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we have our song of invitation. And if you have any need here this morning, I nor anyone in this church will ever promise that we can meet that need. <laughs> we will serve you. We will love you. We will pray with you. We'll laugh with you. We'll cry with you. But only Jesus can fix you. Only Jesus and here's the beauty. If you ask him, he will. He will.